Tonight we're in 2 Corinthians, we're in chapter 12. If you want to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at chapter 12 and uh, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles for you at the back door. We'd love to give you one so you can take that home with you and study with us as we go through the scriptures. I'm really excited for where we're headed this year on Wednesday nights as we go through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Next week, we're going to start the book of Galatians. That's good stuff. And then after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, this is the year to make Wednesday nights a a priority. And you can read ahead and uh, study the book of Galatians, but I'm really looking forward to going through it together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask that he would bless the study this evening. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word, and Lord, we ask that you would give us an increased desire to know you, to be in fellowship with you. We pray that we would understand who you are, your love, in a greater way, that you would awaken us uh, to your love. And as we sang tonight, we don't want to just take you for granted. Uh, we, We love you. We offer our lives afresh to you. And tonight, as we look at the purpose of pain, and as we go through trial in our life, we pray that your truth would set us free. So would you minister to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Most of the time, we avoid pain at all costs. I've never met somebody that says, I just love pain. I don't don't like pain, I'll tend to avoid pain. But we know that there's not real growth, oftentimes, in our lives without pain. Pain Pain usually comes from growth. But as we suffer, it oftentimes raises questions for us that we wrestle with. God, if you love me, you're my loving father, why would you allow me to go through this? I watched my three-year-old daughter die, you may say. She died of cancer. During the three years that she was alive, she went through seven surgeries and spent months in the hospital. And the pain of watching your little girl pass away in that manner can can cause people to really wrestle with, is there a plan? Is there a purpose in the midst of, of pain? That disappointment of, God, why did you allow my spouse to pass away? I was praying that you would deliver. I was praying that you would heal, but instead you, you took my, my spouse from me. God, why would you allow my spouse to divorce me? I, I was standing for my marriage. I was fighting for my marriage. I rallied a team of people to, to pray. I, I was faithful, but at the end of the day, they rejected me. They rejected the marriage. God, why do you allow this financial trouble in my life? Seems like I can't get ahead, I'm falling further behind, can't find a job. What's the point of this, and what's the the purpose of this? And the greats of Scripture wrestled with this question. You know, sometimes I think that we go through some condemnation or guilt if you wrestle with the, the question of pain. But you think of the book of Job, and Job wrestled with the question of pain in his life. He, he wrestled with, is there, there a purpose to this pain that I'm going through? A lot of the Psalms are honest questions of pain. Honest questions of wrestling, where's God in the midst of these struggles? And Paul, as well, he goes through his own path and journey of pain. He's asking that God would take away pain in his life, and we find the answer that God gives to him. So what we're going to be looking at tonight is the surprising purpose of pain. The surprising purpose 
of pain. And I hope that God's truth would encourage us, that it would set us free, that it would remind us if we're going through a pain tonight, you find yourself in that, that place of, of suffering. But I think it's a foundational cornerstone truth for us to understand why God allows pain in our lives and to meet with the Lord in the midst of that pain. We look in verse 1 of chapter 12. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. The context of this is the church of Corinth has begun to doubt Paul as a leader, as a pastor, as an apostle. So Paul's having to go to him and reestablish a path of credibility with them. So now he comes to visions and revelations. There were some teachers that would boast about their visions and their revelations. So Paul is saying, well, I've received visions and revelations as well. And he takes us to this unique experience in his own life. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Paul is referring to himself, his own experience that he had, but he doesn't want to bring attention to himself, so he doesn't use his own name. He simply says, I know a man. But as you read these verses, it's clear that he's talking about himself. He's saying, I don't know if I was out of the body or in the body, meaning that I had died and gone to heaven or I was still in my body and having a vision of heaven. But he goes back 14 years. He says 14 years prior. And when you do the math, he's probably referring to when he got stoned to death outside of the city of Lystra and they left Paul for dead. The people that were stoning him goes, we did a good job. He's dead. We're going to leave him at this place. The believers come and pray for him. And he, he then is healed and he's able to get up and continue on with his life. And, and he's saying it's this time that he received this vision of heaven and he doesn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. Now what's this with the third heaven? There's some that have grossly misused this section of scripture to think that there's three levels of heaven. He's not referring to three levels of heaven, but in his time, in his day, the atmosphere, our atmosphere, was described as the first heaven. The second heaven was the stars, the galaxy. The third heaven was God's throne. So he's saying, I'm caught up into God's throne. And verse 3, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So he emphasizes that again. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. So what Paul says, what he experienced about heaven was so great, so wonderful that it was inexpressible for him to describe and would also be unlawful for him to try to describe it. Now, a lot of people have these uh, experiences where they have a vision of heaven and they'll want to come back and tell us about it. And it's important first to always run that through the filter of scripture of what they're describing about heaven. Is it what God says about heaven? But also I'm always a little bit skeptical because of this verse. Paul has this type of experience. I think people can still have this type of experience today, but Paul says it's inexpressible and he was pretty good at communicating. And he also says it was unlawful, that it wouldn't be right for him to try to express it. So you got to be careful with those types of descriptions of heaven. Run it through scripture. In verse 5, of such a one I will boast, 
Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. So Paul's saying, I'm not going to boast in my visions, in my revelation. I'm actually going to boast in my infirmities. And this is Paul's message to the church of Corinth is he's saying, the reason you should trust me is because of the suffering that I've went through on your behalf. That's the proof that I really love you. That's the proof that I really do do care for you. And that brings us into this discussion of pain in Paul's life. The purpose of pain in verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So there's going to be five points on the purpose of pain. You know, and when we look at scripture and we pull out points, uh, it's for us to pray through and, and to consider. If you've got a bulletin, on the back of the bulletin, you can write down notes. And the bottom there is an application. We're going to make it real easy. We're going to put it up on the screens for you. A lot of times, I don't have pen or paper. If I'm listening to a message, I have my phone with me, and I will type the notes out on my phone. You can do that. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you're not texting. If you can do both at the same time, go for it. But if writing it down helps you remember it, go for it. So, so here's what we see from this verse. Number one is pain protects us from pride. Pain protects us from pride. Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of revelation, a thorn of the flesh was given to me. And then he says it again, lest I should be exalted above measure. He had this revelation of heaven, but also God gave to the apostle Paul a good chunk of the New Testament. He is the primary author. He wrote the most of the New Testament. This guy sneezed and started churches. It's crazy how God used him travel throughout the known world, sharing the gospel, people getting saved, God raising up pastors. It would have been very easy for the Apostle Paul to become very prideful. And pride is extremely dangerous, isn't it? We see pride as what got into the heart of Satan and he fell like lightning. The book of Proverbs tells us that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Throughout scripture, It's been much more difficult for people to handle blessing, to handle success, to handle God using their life, stability, because it leads to pride. And then pride causes us to drift from God and rebel against God. There's a real strong warning against pride. And as Paul is wrestling through this thorn in the flesh that was given to him, a messenger from Satan to buffet him, he realized that a loving father was protecting him. And suffering and pain has a way of keeping us dependent upon God. Because when we're in suffering, we wake up and we go, God, I can't get through today without you. We're on our knees before God. We're desperate before him. We don't have the strength. We don't have the wisdom. It brings in us a real practical humility in our lives that money can't buy other places. Pray through this and consider this. Pastor Kent shared this with me when he came back from Uganda. He said it, and it really stuck with me. A life without pain is dangerous. 
A life without pain is dangerous. And we would go, well, well wait a second. I want to try a life without pain. I'll take the risk. I'll see if I can handle it. I'll, I'll see if I can you know, steer off pride. I'll see if I can stay close to the Lord. If the Apostle Paul needed a little bit of pain in his life to keep him from pride, it's definitely a possibility for us as well, isn't it? That God in his love would say, Eric, I'm going to protect you. Church, I'm going to protect you. Brother, sister in Christ, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you this pain to keep you from walking in a place of pride. What's interesting about verse 7 is who's the messenger of the pain? Satan, a messenger of Satan. So Satan sends one of his demons to give Saul this thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say if it's, it's, it's his mother-in-law or malaria. He, <laughs> he doesn't say. He just says a thorn in the flesh. So commentators, Bible teachers, have had a lot of fun with this over, over the years to, to try to figure out what this is. It seems to me, again, this is just me taking a stab at this, that it is something physical for the Apostle Paul because he says, this is my thorn in my flesh. This is a thorn that has been placed in in my body. It, It seems to be that there was some physical suffering that came from Satan into his life that God allowed for him to bear. And that's a very difficult suffering, isn't it? You know, if some of you have chronic pain, chronic illness, and and you wake up up every day in in a lot of pain, that affects you in in a great way. We don't know exactly what it is, but it it was from Satan. But this is point number two, is God uses what Satan intended for evil. God uses what Satan intended for evil. In this theological discussion of evil and why God allows evil, If there wasn't evil, there wouldn't be the opportunity for us to choose good, to have the song tonight, We Love You, mean something. Because without the opportunity to not love God, love has has no meaning. So God allows Satan, God allows evil, he gives us a choice. And Satan can bring suffering into our lives. But we know from the book of Job that it has to pass through the permission of God had to pass through God's hand before Satan could mess with Job. And then God will use what Satan intends for evil for good. So so God didn't do it. God God wasn't the one who was the instrument of, of this thorn. God did allow it, but he's now using it in Paul's life. Do you see that? God is using this thorn, even though it came from Satan, to allow Paul to be protected from pride for allowing Paul to go deeper in prayer, for, for allowing Paul to experience the power of God. There's no place in scripture that we see this truth more clearly than in the life of Joseph. Maybe you remember the story. Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers. He's the favored son, literally the golden boy walking around with a coat of many colors, the favorite of dad. So they first are gonna murder him, but then they decide to sell him as a slave. Man, with family like that, who needs friends, right? So he heads to Egypt as a slave. Things are going well. God's with him. He's over all of Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape. Who are you going to believe, the Hebrew slave or Potiphar's wife? You're going to believe Potiphar's wife. He goes to prison. God's with him. He gets responsibility inside of prison, interprets a dream from the butler and the baker and the candlestick maker, and is forgotten. For two years, 
Pharaoh has a dream. Called up to Pharaoh's court, interprets the dream second in command of Pharaoh, Hebrew slave. God uses him to save Egypt, and also his brothers come to him for food. God restores that relationship. His father comes to him in his old age. His father dies, and the brothers are now nervous. Well, dad's out of the way. Joseph's going to do a sin. Maybe Joseph's been angry and bitter this whole time. These are the words of Joseph. And he's speaking to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God used for good. And in this discussion of evil, sometimes we're affected with pain because Satan will go after us. Sometimes we're affected with pain because of other people's evil choices. Like Joseph's brothers. That's very real. But God is sovereign over that. And he's going to use that to get us in the place that he wants us to be. God used that decision of the brothers to get Joseph in the place that he needed to be, to be in the second end of command to save God's chosen people. And that's a deep understanding when it comes to pain. Maybe tonight your life is filled with suffering because of the evil choices of someone else. You can go, you know what? I know. I know that God is using what they intended evil for good. Satan's really having his way. Satan's really put a thorn in my flesh. Oh, I know that God's going to use that for good. And this is one of the clear sways. It's an exclamation point of God's power. It's an exclamation point of the sovereignty of God. It's got to be so frustrating to be Satan. I don't feel sorry for him, but it's got to be frustrating. He tries something. I'm really going to get the Apostle Paul only to find that God uses it tremendously in Paul's life and the life of others. We go on into verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul really wants this thorn to be gone. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to remove the pain from your life. God, if you want to get this thorn out of the way, it'd be great. And if you want to do it now, praise the Lord. If you... If you wanted to do it 15 minutes ago, that would have even been better. And Paul has such a relationship with his father, he doesn't apologize to go and plead with the Lord. And he comes to the Lord three times. And sometimes you've got to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. God, would you deliver out of this trial? And here's God's answer. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And he said to me, point number three, sometimes God says no. That's what God's answer was to Paul. He got his answer. I'm not removing the thorn. What was Paul's request? Please take this from me. And God very politely, very lovingly says, no, I'm not going to remove it for you. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And we know this when it comes to pain. And as we wrestle with pain, that is the reality. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says yes, and he heals that three-year-old little girl with cancer. Seen him do it. Sometimes God says no and takes that three-year-old little girl home to be with the Lord, the ultimate healing. Seen him do it before. Sometimes God heals marriages and you find hearts that are soft towards the Lord and to one another and it's amazing reconciliation and that's what we should pray for. Sometimes someone's heart gets so hard, it's granite. They don't listen to the Lord, they don't listen to anyone else and the end is, is divorce. 
Sometimes you, you see one person pass away that is walking with the Lord and loving with the Lord while the person next to them that was in the same car accident that was living a complete wicked life, they died and walked away without a scratch. Who can know the mind of God? Who can be God's counselor? But this is where we trust the character of God. And please hear me out on this, especially if you're going through suffering. If we enjoy and accept all of the things that God says yes to, then we also have to trust him in those times that he says no. And and I'm not saying that it's easy. But what has the father said yes to? He said yes to giving his son for our sins. And I don't understand that kind of love. Why would God do that? Why would he willingly, freely say yes to give his son? So I accept that love. I enjoy that love. I rejoice in that love. And so I've also got to accept when God says no. It takes a lot of spiritual maturity to be okay when the Lord says no. David really got excited about building a temple in Jerusalem. He wanted God to have that place of worship and give God glory. There was the tabernacle, but he wanted to be the, the temple. He goes to Nathan the prophet and says, hey, can I, can I build a, a temple? Nathan goes, do all that's in your heart. Then God spoke to Nathan, said, I don't want David to build me a temple because he's a man of war. His hands are, are, are filled with, with blood. You go back and tell him that he can't build me a temple. That's a bad day for Nathan. Uh, hey, King David, um, I kind of spoke out of turn. God really spoke to my heart last night. You're not supposed to build a temple. David didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He didn't shake his fist at God. He got all the preparations ready for Solomon to build the temple. He accepted it. He was okay with it. He did what he could do. He rejoiced in what things God said yes to. But this is a real wrestling when God says no. This is a poem that was written with someone who was wrestling when the Lord told him no. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for but everything I hoped for. Isn't that powerful? Almost desperate myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. That's wrestling through that process of when God says no for the purpose of giving us something better. He's not just saying no to be mean-spirited. Here for, for the Apostle Paul, he gets no from God taking the thorn away from him But what God does give, what God does say yes to, is he's saying, Paul, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself in grace and in strength. And this moves us to point number four, is grace is plentiful and strength is perfected. Think about these words. My grace is sufficient for you. The word sufficient has this idea that it's just enough. But if you look up the word sufficient, it also means plentiful. Because if you have a sufficient water supply, you have a plentiful water supply. Like if you've got good water in your home, 
that's sufficient, that means it's plentiful. You, you've got enough for your needs. Every time you go there, there's enough there. And what God is saying to Paul is he's saying, I have grace for you in this particular trial, in this particular thorn, and it's enough. It's sufficient. It's plentiful. Now, grace is a gift that comes from outside of us, and it's unearned and it's undeserved. We think of grace with salvation, which is absolutely true. Grace doesn't turn off the moment that we get saved. God continues to pour out grace in our lives. So if we're going through pain and we're going through trial and we're going through difficulty, we can trust that the promise of Jesus Christ is he is going to give us a plentiful supply of grace for that particular trial. A lot of times when we're going through the trial, we can't see it. Other people can see God meeting us. Other people can see that grace that's being supplied to in our lives. But all we feel is drought, doubt, and wilderness until we get through it and get past it and we look back and we go, you know, God was giving me grace. God was supplying my need in the midst of that situation and I didn't necessarily feel it, but God was faithful to his promise. And then also is that strength is perfected and this happens in pain. There's no need for strength unless there's weakness. Isn't that true? I don't need God's strength. And if you notice in this verse, God says, my strength is perfected in your weakness, Paul. Maybe the secret to Paul's closeness with the Lord and his effectiveness in the kingdom to share the love of Jesus Christ was his weakness, was his pain. It actually drove him to the Lord, walked with the Lord in dependency to where God's power could be seen. And when things are going good in our lives and we're healthy, we're wealthy and wise, it's easy for us to, to not rely upon God's strength, to not see our need for God's strength. I think God is extremely glorified when his children go through pain and suffering. They rely upon him and his character is seen through the midst of that trial. I've really seen that in Pastor Ed's life at Calvary Chapel Aurora. He's a good friend. He serves on our board of elders here. Uh, his teachings on Grace FM 101.7, you, you can listen to it. But a few years ago, he lost his 24-year-old son to a heart attack. His son was mowing the lawn, was home by himself. His, his son's wife was gone and had a heart attack, and he passed away. He went home to be with the Lord. And that has affected Pastor Ed and Marie in, in a profound way. Words can't even express. We, from an outside perspective, you look in when someone loses their child and all you can have is really empathy. You don't fully understand. And I know some of you understand because you, you've lost a child. And watching Ed go through this, I've seen God's strength in his life. I've seen God give him that, that grace. And I know it's been extreme, extremely difficult and God has, has been glorified through it. And I'm sure that you know believers where you look at their life and you go, I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know how they're still here at church. I don't know how they're still going to work. I don't know how they're still getting up in, in the morning. And they're like, I don't know how either. But God is glorified because their strength, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. I think for us, this is a promise that we have to plug into and receive because we can easily go through a trial where we just go, I'm going to tough this out. I'll do this on my own. I got this one. It takes a certain humility to go, okay, God, I'm broken in this. I need your grace. 
There's been many times where I've prayed to the Lord, God, I have the weakness. Now will you please give the grace and the strength? And those can be hard words to utter sometimes. But it, it takes that humility and faith to come and access the, the grace and the strength to be perfected in weakness. Verse 10 gives us our fifth point on pain. It says, therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities and reproaches, in needs and persecution, in distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now I can tell you tonight, I'm not here in verse 10. I'm not here at this point in my life where I'm like, I rejoice in infirmities. I, I rejoice in reproach. I rejoice in, in persecution. But I understand the, the truth, and it's this. Acceptance of pain is paramount. Acceptance of pain is paramount. If you are anticipating in your life that it's not going to be painful, you're going to be extremely disappointed and disillusioned. And we think that as Americans. It's called the American dream. We expect everything's going to go our way. And if God loves me, he's going to allow everything to go my way in life. No. I read an article today. It was talking about the, the purpose of pain. And, and I quote, it says, Unfortunately, I've decided my, in my life that I don't get the luxury of avoiding pain. That's a big step in our lives if we go, you know what, I understand as the child of God, I don't get the luxury of avoiding pain in my life. Someone else put it this way, what power there is in accepted sorrow. What power there is in accepted sorrow. The reality of verse 10, the heart of verse 10 is Paul says, I accept the thorn. I'm not fighting the thorn anymore. I accepted God's answer. Now, once again, it's not wrong to ask. God, if you want to deliver me from this, but once God gives the answer and he says, you know what? This, this is what you've got. This is what you've got to hold to. Then, okay, by faith, Lord, I'm accepting this and trusting that you're doing a work in and through my life through this pain. And I got to tell you, here's my experience when I'm not accepting the trial, when I'm not accepting the pain, big or small, that's when I drive myself absolutely crazy. I'm fighting. I'm kicking. I don't like it. I, I want out of it. I, oh, you know? And that's when the spiral really goes, goes, goes downward. Maybe right now in the midst of this service, just, Lord, I trust you. I accept the pain that you've allowed in my life. I know this isn't easy. I know it's difficult. We don't get the wrestling of Paul that's behind all these verses. I'm sure it was a process for Paul to get to this point. We go on into verse 11. It says, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. Paul said, I, I had to do this to try to regain your trust. For I thought to have been commended by you, for nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I'm nothing. Paul says, I, I should have been commended by you, but now I'm having to reestablish myself. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Paul said, you saw God working through my life. For what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. A little sarcasm from the apostle Paul. He's like, hey, you know, you guys weren't inferior to the other churches, except, oh yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a burden to you guys. I think this is probably one of the greatest difficulties in all of Paul's life was the fact that this church that he loved no longer trusted him 
They would no longer accept his leadership and were going towards false teaching. Verse 14, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you. So Paul's saying, I'm getting ready to come visit you for the third time. For I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will verily gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less that I am loved. Paul understood the role of being a spiritual leader, being a a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. He's saying it's appropriate that the parents would lay up for the children. It's appropriate that I would spend my life for you. And then he's just honest and he's transparent to them. And he says, it seems like the more I love you, the less that that I am loved in, in, in return. And when we take on that role of mentoring or discipling someone else, we have to understand that the one that's the mentor is going to initiate the love. The, one, the mentor is the one that's going to do the spending. The mentor is the one who is going to be storing up for that one who is, is younger in the faith. And I think understanding that gives you a better healthy expectation. You know, sometimes we put an expectation on someone who we're discipling or mentoring that's not a godly expectation. And Paul, he understood the role that he sh- had as being the, the spiritual father. In verse 16, but be that as it may, I am not a burden to you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Paul's saying, I really laid out this argument of why you could trust me. Did I take advantage of you by any of those who I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? Has anybody taken advantage of you? Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. That's a great place to be, to just be concerned about others' edification. Paul gives some father talk here. He says, For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, backbiting, whispers, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I will mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. It's a lot of words for Paul saying, when I come to visit, I hope you're welcome with the Lord. And that's seen in your actions. Because if you guys are destroying each other and you're all caught up in sexual sin after I've laid these two letters out for you, well, that's going to break my heart and there's going to be a lot I'm going to have to deal with. Chapter 13, and we end the book here with this. Verse 1, this will be the third time I'm coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established, quoting the Old Testament. I've told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time and now being absent, I write to those who've sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Why is that daddy language? Because he's saying, guys, if I come after all this the third time and everything's the same, man, I'm getting out the spanking paddle and I'm not going to spare. You know, I'm, I'm not going to spare correction at this point. And remember, correction is a proof of love. Scripture says that a father disciplines the child he loves. It's hard for us to understand in the Scripture because of our culture, but that's the truth. And Paul's showing great love to stick with this church 
on multiple occasions and continue to confront them about sin. It shows the seriousness of sin and it shows the seriousness of God's love for them and Paul's love for them as well, even though they didn't feel loved. And a lot of times when we get disciplined, we don't feel loved. In verse 3, since you, you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who's not weak towards you, but mighty in me. So they're speaking, seeking out a proof that Christ is speaking through Paul. This is a great truth here in verse 4. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards us. Jesus died in weakness, but now he lives in power. Paul says, I am weak, but through Christ, he has made me powerful. Paul, in his suffering and in his pain, I think through the Lord, in a way that is beautiful and glorifying to God, he was a very powerful man of God. You get a sense of that by his writings. Not a worldly power, not a power that you had to be afraid of, but, but a power that came from the Lord. In verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? There's no reason to be afraid of a test if you know the information. There's a lot of tests that I was afraid of growing up because I didn't know the information. And we shouldn't be afraid of examining to see whether we're in the, in the faith if we've trusted Christ. Because if we believe the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's God, that he's our Lord, when we examine ourselves, we go, yeah, I'm in the faith. I'm trusting Christ. I'm trusting what he's done. This has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with your faith. He's saying, are you in the faith? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you trusting him for salvation? Test yourselves. You know yourself. You know your heart. You know if Christ lives inside of you. I think everyone in this room tonight, you know your heart before God. You know if you've trusted Christ for salvation. And what Paul understands is that it's really easy to play a church game. And that is you get around believers. You start understanding what believers say. You get down some of the language. You get down some of the lingo. But you've never trusted your heart to Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying to them is make sure that you've trusted Christ. And if you have, you examine your heart and go, yes, I'm not perfect, but I do trust what Christ has done for me. Christ does live inside of me. Verse six, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you do not, that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. Paul says, take me out of the equation. Whatever you think about me or believe about me, just don't even worry about that. I hope you don't do evil. I hope you do what's honorable unto the Lord. Verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. This is also a great way to live. I can't do anything against the truth. This is what God has said, so I have to line myself up with his word. I've got to allow my life to be submitted to the truth of Scripture. Verse 9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, and this also we pray that you may be made complete. Paul also understands in his suffering that it's going to be for other people's benefit. So God's making me weak so that they could be strong. That's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. God, you're allowing me to suffer because you want to do this in somebody else's life? Oh, 
well, I'm glad that they're getting built up, but I'm sure getting destroyed here. And that was another thing that Paul accepted by faith. Verse 10, going down to verse 14, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Paul says, it's my place to speak this into your life. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be a good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Keep growing. Be comforted. Live in unity. And the God of peace will be with you. Greet one another with the holy kiss, which was the standard Greeting in that culture, all the saints greet you. Be reminded there's power in a greeting. There's power in a greeting. As we gather together as a, as a church family to greet one another, to say hello, look each other in the eye, give each other a handshake, a hug, it's powerful. When you're, when you're out and about and, and you're dealing with people, there's, there's a lot of power in, in a greeting. Reaching out to a brother and sister in Christ that you haven't talked to in a while. There's a reason that Paul reminds us of this. And he leaves us with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Trinity. Three distinct persons, but one God. Grace in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Grace for salvation. Grace for trial. Grace that pours through our lives, left in the hands of the grace of Jesus Christ left in the love of the Father, the love of God. Here's the love of the Father. He loves you. Know that you're loved by the Father. And then the communion with the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we conclude the book. And as we conclude the book, out of all of Paul's writing, this is the most autobiographical. He shares the most of his heart to try to regain this church's trust. I think that as you look at all of the New Testament, and you can look there with me if you want briefly, when we look at 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, they're so powerful. There's so many truths that are there in chapters 4 and 5. I I just want to remind you briefly in chapter 4, it said, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Because there will be pain and suffering in our lives, no chapters four and five well. They're rich, they're deep, they're encouraging for us. Go back through this book and see the truths that God really wants you to, to hold on to. And then tonight, as we close and we look at the surprising joy of pain, the surprising purpose of pain, you may be saying, Eric, I still don't get it. I don't get why a loving God would allow pain in my life. And I want to boil it down to hopefully a really powerful level, and it's this. Is Paul encountered Jesus in his pain, and he knew Jesus in a greater way. He heard the voice of Jesus. This was Jesus speaking to Paul. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 
And God allows pain. He orchestrates pain in our lives so that he can give himself to us in a greater way. God wants to meet with you in your pain tonight. And as you come and take communion, fellowship with his suffering. Pour out your heart from him. Jesus, I need to hear from you. It's one thing to hear a Bible study, and it's another thing to meet with with Jesus Christ. And we want to pray that God would comfort you in your pain. I hope you don't feel beat up by these truths, or these truths are being crammed down your throat, but I hope you feel comforted, comforted to meet with the Lord. And I think you can say this as you look back at pain in your life, hindsight's 2020 vision. I look back at, at pain in my life, and I go, man, I would never want to go through that again. But God, I can see in your wisdom why you allowed that in my life. I'm so thankful that you allowed that, that you gave that gift of pain to me. I wouldn't know you in the way that I do today if it wasn't for that road of suffering, if it wasn't for that that road of pain. Oh, Lord, you protected me. You produced prayer in my life. Your power came into my life. I experienced you. But when you're in the midst of it, you can't see that. And you might be at that point right now where you're just saying, I can't even begin to see that. I'm wrestling, I'm hurting, I'm feeling crushed here. And that's when you plead with the Lord. That's when you get on your face before the Lord. You come in communion and you sit down in a quiet place. You go, God, I'm broken. I'm, I'm hurting here. Jesus, I need you to meet with me. I gotta tell you this from my heart. No pastor, no friend, no spouse, no book, No worship leader can take that place of Jesus. There will be pain in our lives that's so great that it's intended to bring us to the feet of Jesus. And there'll be such confusion and there'll be such disillusionment. Not that you don't go to others for comfort. Not that you don't go to others for prayer. Not that you don't, don't read books. But those are all secondary to Jesus. Paul wouldn't have what he shared with us if he didn't plead with the Lord if he didn't go to the Lord. And it's not always instantaneous. It's not always that, oh, the light bulb went on. Sometimes it's years where you're walking in the pain. You're walking in the pain. You're continuing to go to the Lord. But he's the one you need. He's the anchor of the soul, and there's no substitute. So as we come and take communion, begin that process of pouring your heart out to the Lord. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to put an arm around you and ask that Christ would meet with you. There's power in looking to what Christ has done upon the cross and appropriating it in our hearts and our lives. Let's pray together. Let's pray for one another. Father, in knowing these truths, we still wrestle very much with the pain, the disappointment, when you say no, when things don't go the direction that we thought that they would. Father, I know that for some tonight, they're in a great season of pain, a great season of loss. They've lost children. They've lost a a spouse or they've been rejected. They've been stomped upon. They deal with chronic pain. Things that, that you know that we don't even begin to know. And we ask that you would comfort. You're the God of all comfort and the Father of mercy. Lord, would you help us to understand pain in a little bit greater way and as we experience pain to go to you, to wrestle with you to hear your voice. Would you be gracious to speak to us just like you spoke to the Apostle Paul? Would you bless communion? Would you meet us afresh in communion? In Jesus' name, amen.